Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. This week's message comes from our women's ministry director, Pastor Hannah Attaway. Uh, But last Mother's Day, took a pretty hard nosedive after worship. We were still in Birmingham then, and worship was great. Uh, But after that, everyone else in my family had Bible study classes that they could go to, and I didn't, uh, because there were people in every adult class that were unhappy that I liked to preach. I had never tried to preach at that church, but they didn't like that I wanted to preach anywhere. And uh, so even though we had some really amazing supporters in that church, the people who didn't like that I preached at other churches were very vocal about it. And I was feeling super just alone. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna watch Hope Church Memphis's 11 o'clock worship hour. Uh, I had applied for the job that I have now, but y'all had no idea who I was yet. Um, I think Pastor Rufus and Pastor Eli did, but I don't think anyone else here knew I even existed. We were in the crushing phase of this relationship, so I was social media stalking this church, um, but there was no relationship yet. So I went home, I put on comfy pants, which is the first thing I do when I get home, and I went to hopechurchmemphis.com, shout out to our online viewers, and Reverend Nancy Duff was guest preaching that day, and her sermon was on Sarah's laughter when she was told by God that she would have a son when she was way too old to be having babies. And in that message, Reverend Duff said, nothing is too wonderful or too difficult for the Lord. And I saw this church where men and women served together, and where people from different races worship with one another that was looking for the strangest combination position I had ever seen, which is women's ministry and preaching, and that's exactly what I was looking for. And something just happened in my soul. Edwin came home around the end of that sermon, and I said, hey, I think this is gonna happen. Now remember, we're still in the crush phase of this relationship. I hadn't talked to anybody here yet. So Edwin was completely reasonable to respond yeah, okay, we'll see. And I'm like, no, no, dude, I'm telling you, this is gonna happen. This church, this job is my Isaac, and I think it's gonna happen. And he responded, we'll see. And eight weeks later, I was standing right here on this stage in a situation only God could have called, preaching to see if I was actually a good fit for this job. And obviously, I was brimming with confidence, right? after that spiritual experience I had two months before. Brimming with confidence might be a bit much. What's the right word? I was panicking. I was full on freaking out in the depths of my soul up here. I don't think you could tell, but I had never preached a sermon three times in a row. I had never preached from this kind of a stage I even brought my little security Bible up here with me because I never preached without a pulpit before and I like to hide behind it sometimes. And you couldn't see all the darts flying. But I was taking shot after shot, accusation after accusation. I kept hearing, you don't belong up here. What are you thinking? You can't do this. And if God hadn't called his shot eight weeks before, I don't know if I would have made it. The flaming arrows were coming in heavy, but God gave me a shield that I needed to extinguish them. He'd given me exactly what I needed to depend on him to do what he had called me to do, to stand. 
to stand right here, as a matter of fact, without crying or vomiting or passing out or anything. And here we are, by God's grace, a year after God called his shot here on Mother's Day, talking about the shield of faith. So let's look at our passage for today, beginning in Ephesians 6.10 and continuing through verse 16. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now in this passage, nothing is halfway. You've got the full armor of God. You've prepared everything. You've got every situation, and you've got all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Everything is big in this passage, including the shield. The word for the shield is simil similar to the word for door in the original language, so that's about the size that we're talking about. This is not a Captain America shield, like the 24-inch circle thing. This is a 30-inch wide, 48-inch long shield. The idea is that you can guard your whole self with this thing. This is no toy shield, it's the real thing. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So faith allows us to stand against the invisible spiritual forces that come against us because faith in the Lord God trusts that we have far more powerful spiritual forces fighting for us than against us. When we think of being shielded, we tend to think of running away or hiding, right? But this passage is clear that our job is to stand, to hold on to the ground that God has already taken back from the hands of Satan through Jesus Christ. We're not hiding behind this shield. We're employing it so that we might stand. Faith shields us in the battle, not from it. If there were no arrows, no attacks, you wouldn't need a shield. Some people call faith a crutch for weak people. That just doesn't ring true for the people of faith that I know. Some of them have been through the ringer. Loving Jesus didn't keep them from having to endure life's hardships. It didn't protect them from the difficulties of this world. What faith does is shield us from the spiritual dangers at work in those attacks. It doesn't mean we don't have an enemy. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It means that when bad things do happen, and they absolutely will, those bad things can harm us. But our faith still protects our whole selves spiritually. We are kept, even as we endure the battle. My favorite picture of this in scripture is the story of Joseph. Uh, so for those of you who don't remember the story from Genesis 37 and 39, or the VeggieTales version, the ballad of little Joe, Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, which makes him Joseph, Abraham and Sarah's great-grandson. God's promise continued. He had 11 brothers, and the 10 older ones hated him because their dad played favorites, which is a bad idea. Jacob had four wives, 
also a really bad idea. Two of them were sisters. Uh, TLC was, would have been grueling for this show. It would have made for excellent ratings. Um, but just, just so you don't walk out confused, let's go over this. It's a bad idea to have four wives, and it's a bad idea to have a favorite kid, so don't, okay? Um, but that's Joseph's family life. And in the story, God gives Joseph two dreams. In Genesis 37, Joseph describes the two dreams to his family, and everyone seems to agree on the meaning of them, that one day, Joseph's brothers will bow to him, and even his parents will bow to him one day. Jacob, who loves Joseph, was pretty unhappy about that part, but Joseph's brothers took matters into their own hands, and they threw Joseph into a pit, planning to kill him, but eventually decided, hey, let's make money off this deal, and decided to sell him into slavery instead. While working as a slave, poor Joseph is falsely accused of sexual assault, which lands him in prison. While Joseph is in slavery, and while Joseph is in prison, he never gives up his faith. He continues holding on to God, and you can see it because he does things God's way, even there. Although the circumstances he experiences are bad according to any definition, faith continues to shield Joseph. The bad circumstances can hurt him, but they cannot destroy him. God gave Joseph what he needed to withstand attack, not to avoid it. Those dreams that God gave Joseph, they seemed to get him into pretty big trouble, didn't they? Those dreams were God's gift, though, to equip Joseph for the attack he was going to endure. Make no mistake, being sold into slavery by your own brothers, there's something demonic about that. Being falsely accused of assault and thrown into prison for a crime you didn't commit, there's something demonic about that. Joseph was under attack, but he was shielded in the battle because his faith was in the Lord God. So faith is our shield that protects us as God's people from demonic plots that seek to harm us, but because God's people live in community with people who don't know him, or at least don't know him yet, we can become a blessing to the community of people around us. This is a theme throughout the Bible. The faith of one can provide some protection to the many. In Joseph's story, we see that God blesses Potiphar's house when Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his stuff. We see that God blesses the jail and even the jailer when Joseph is in prison. And when Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh to tell him that he needs to prepare for famine, we discover that the dream God gave to Pharaoh was really for the purpose of saving Jacob and his family from starving from the famine. God blessed Potiphar's household, the jail, and all of Egypt because Joseph was faithful. Joseph didn't get everything right. He probably shouldn't have bragged to his brothers about his dreams when he knew they already hated him. That was maybe stupid. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. He trusted God to interpret dreams, and he never took credit for him himself. Joseph's imperfect faithfulness provided some measure of protection to the people around him. Now looking at this as a mom, I'm gonna demonstrate this with two of my kiddos and a very big shield. Thank you, buddy. This is Lee. This is our youngest son, our only son, Lee. He's nine. Uh, and this is a shield that's about the same size as the one Paul was talking about. So my goal is to protect my children from spiritual dangers. Yeah, <laughs> while helping them to understand the world around them. Now, as for right now, my faith can do a whole lot to protect Lee, can't it, buddy? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I have some control over the words he knows and what pictures he sees, some. And when he's being attacked spiritually, I can point him to Christ the same way that Joseph always pointed to God as the reason he was able to interpret dreams. By pointing beyond myself to Christ, I'm participating with God and forging a shield of faith that this little guy can hold on to later. Now what that means is, I have to hold my stance, don't I? If I say I belong to Jesus and then I take a step back because the battle out there is looking too scary and I don't want my baby to get hurt, what am I telling my son about God? That he can't handle it? And if I choose to drop my shield and allow things into my home that don't belong there, what am I telling my son about God? That he's not as good as worldly things. So it's my job to always keep pointing beyond myself to the God who's bigger than I am and better than I could ever hope to be. Thanks, buddy. Now here's the thing. While our children are still behind our shield, we better train them to pick up the shield on their own. Some of us are tempted to be the shield to our kids instead of pointing them to God who shields us, but the truth is, our kids need the real God, not our impersonations of them. Because here's the thing about kids, they grow up. (laughs) This is Ella. She's one of our newest church members. She joined Hope last night. We're excited about that. And she's my middle daughter. Uh, She's uh, learning to drive now. She sometimes spends the weekend in Birmingham with her friends without me. (laughs) She's living less and less behind my shield because here's the thing, we don't both fit. And in three years, she's going to college. She's really gonna be out from behind my shield then, baby. So if she's depending on my faith to keep her spiritually safe, it's not gonna be good enough. But here's the cool thing. Because her faith is in Jesus Christ, she has the same kind of shield that I have. And that means we're both better protected. Instead of being a liability, she's an asset. This one has my back. So when I tell her that we're moving to Memphis and she's gonna have to move away from those friends she loves, and the mom guilt starts to set in on me, telling that I'm asking too much from her, this child responds to me, mom, we can't hold back because her faith is in the same God who's been with us to now, and she knows and believes he'll be with her in Memphis, and he is. Thank you, Bella. Now remember, Christian parents, you can tell your kids where to find the shield of faith, but you can't make them pick it up. Your shield can provide some protection to your children, and it does, even if they don't buy in. We can pray that our children realize that there's a battle going on, which may mean that they have to become less comfortable for a season, but knowing Jesus is worth it. And this doesn't just apply to parenting. If you're a Christian employee, your faith can protect your company from spiritual danger. If you're a Christian grandparent or aunt or uncle, kids in your family are better protected because of your faith. Your faith blesses the people around you. But the goal is that we point beyond ourselves to the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, because he can be the shield the people around us need. People around us get some protection just from being around the people of God, which is pretty cool. But full protection only comes from a personal relationship with God marked by trusting in him and not ourselves. That's why we always point beyond ourselves to our great God. Now we've been talking in terms of individuals, 
but it's helpful to recognize that faith is a shield to Jesus followers as a people, not only as individuals. The imagery Paul is using here is that of a centurion soldier. What does the word cent mean? It means one one hundredth, right? And that's because a centurion was a part of a unit of 100 soldiers. If you mess with one centurion, he's got 99 buddies who have his back. Here's what I know. In this room, there are people who are holding the shield for their whole business because you're the only believer in your workplace. There are spouses who are holding the whole shield for their families because their spouse isn't, doesn't believe or you're single parenting. There are grandparents and friends and neighbors who are trying to be God's person of faith in your community. And sometimes your arms get tired holding on to that shield all on your own, don't they? The thing about these shields, though, is that Roman centurions had a system for linking them together to make a wall. And that's what God has done for us through the church. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 say, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. That all there is referring to all believers. In Ephesians, Paul describes the people of God as a single body with Christ as the head. You're not holding that shield alone. You have a local church family who is here to strengthen you and to cover your back. We are bound together by our faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit makes us into a single body. And you're being prayed for and loved by people, some of whom you may not even know their names until you get to glory. You have a people. You are one soldier in this great army, but you are anything but alone. Now finally, I want you to see that it is the object of our faith not the strength of it that protects us. Did Joseph ever doubt God's goodness while he was suffering in slavery or in prison? The Bible doesn't say, because it honestly doesn't matter. His faith was in the right God, whether that faith was strong or not. Faith enables Joseph to tell his story through the eyes of grace. Joseph's dreams did eventually come true, not in spite of slavery and imprisonment, but because of them. God placed Joseph with just the right person to give him just the right opportunity to become Pharaoh's highest advisor after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream predicting a famine. God thwarted Satan's attacks so completely that Joseph's brothers actually helped bring his dreams to fruition. Joseph's faithfulness saves his family as well as all of Egypt from a deadly famine. After their father dies, though, Joseph's brothers are afraid that Joseph's holding a grudge against them and is gonna mistreat them or even kill them in retribution. Here's how Joseph responds to that. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's faith didn't only protect him from losing grip on God. Joseph's faith in God's sovereign plan over all things enabled him to forgive his brothers and to care for them and to see his own story as one of God's protection rather than seeing it as abandonment. His faith may have waned but it was still in the Lord God. Who you trust matters more than the strength or sincerity of your trust. 
Paul gives a beautiful account of the gospel earlier in this book in Ephesians 2, one through 10. Verses eight and nine say, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Grace refers to the favor God bestows on his people, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Faith refers to our dependence on that grace. We receive God's grace by faith, but even that faith is a gift from God. Now back in the early 2000s, all of the Calvinist Christian teenagers, Bible nerds like me, were listening to a band called Cademan's Call, okay? Uh, their best album, 40 Acres, turns 25 years old next year, and I would say it is the best contemporary Christian album of all time. Um, you can disagree, but you'll be wrong. Uh, my favorite song on that album is called Shifting Sand. And the chorus goes, my faith is like shifting sand, changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand, so I stand on grace. Can I tell you how that song has helped me when my own faith has waned? When my faith starts to feel like shifting sand, it's just pushed me to lean on the hand who holds me. Interestingly, the lead singer has walked away from Christianity, but his song still strengthens my faith 24 years later, and I'm still praying for him. One of my favorite moments in the Bible is when a father comes to Jesus to heal his son, but he phrases his request, if you can. Jesus responds, if I can. Anything is possible for the one who believes. The father then answers, I do believe. Help my unbelief. What a simple, beautiful prayer. That may be where you are today. Maybe you're under attack at this very moment. Maybe you really want to believe that God can keep you in the midst of what you're going through, but you just can't make yourself believe it, believe it. In that case, let me encourage you to pray this prayer that the Father prayed. God, I do believe in you. Please help my unbelief. Jesus says that faith the size of a mustard seed is enough to move mountains. And Paul says it's enough to shield you against Satan's schemes. If Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, we can rest assured that faith in Christ shields us from those schemes to take what doesn't belong to him. And that same faith, rightly placed in Jesus Christ, grants us abundant life in the here and now and forevermore. Even preparing this sermon, I still heard those same voices that I heard back in July. What do you think you're doing? Why are you even up here? But by the grace of God, here I stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a good, good Father. We know that these, this particular day can be hard for some people, that there are difficulties involved and complications. But we know that you are all good. You are all for your children. So we pray, God, today that you will help our unbelief, strengthen weak knees, enable us to stand that you might be glorified in us 
and that the coming generations will glorify you because we chose to follow you. We pray these things through the great name of Jesus Christ, the only name by which we are saved. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Oppenheisen, musical worship director. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship service, visit our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.